0: Hi everyone, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hilliard. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train,
1: educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness,
0: to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the My Fit Podcast, and subscribe to his newsletter at DJ So let's get to it.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another edition of the My Fit Podcast. This week on the show, I'm accompanied by my dad, Craig Hillier, and we had the pleasure in sitting down with Brandon Voss. If you guys remember back in episode 129, we had Chris Voss on the show. Chris is a former FBI hostage negotiator. And since learning and listening and taking in everything that Chris taught us, my dad and I have been just awestruck in wanting to learn more about the black swan method, what it means to be a master negotiator and how we can bring some of those tactics into everyday life. So we wanted to reach out to Chris's son, Brandon, to have him on the show. Brandon is the Black Swan's president and thought leader, and his mission is to teach clients how to identify the three main types of negotiators and develop a methodology for dealing with them in the most successful way possible. Brandon has been instrumental in adapting the FBI's hostage negotiation techniques into the business world, as well as served as a guest lecturer at places such as the USC and Georgetown School of Business. Brandon also helped co-write the best-selling book, Never Split the Difference, and I would recommend everybody listening to go check out that book. It's one of my all-time favorites. Some of the topics we got into, we got into a lot of things. The first, we're talking about what are the three types of negotiators and how can we recognize them and also work with, with them? Then we talked about defining what is deference and how is it used in communication? We then talked about it was a fun little role playing back and forth i wanted to give you guys a very real life example of what it's like to be able to negotiate with somebody who might be a little bit intense what are some things that we should or shouldn't say this is a really fun role playing moment that i got to do with brandon after that we talked about how to deal with somebody who is snarky or testy without cause it's just kind of who they are how can we work better with some of those types of people in our lives Then we talked about understanding labeling and also mislabeling as one of Brandon's favorite negotiation tactics. Then I uh, gave him a a question that he's probably not used to getting, but it's fun to hear an answer of how do you get the attention of somebody at a bar or a social event? We know that you get about seven seconds of somebody's attention before they're on to the next thing. So what can we do as men or women at a bar trying to get attention of uh, somebody else in seven seconds? Then after that, Brandon taught us how we can all get a hotel room upgrade into a suite and how he is, this tactic has never let him down. After that, we talked about the power of silence in negotiation and why it's so important to let things sit. And then we close down by talking about the difference in storytelling when shifting from an I focus to a you focus so many golden nuggets in this uh episode and we could have talked to brandon for hours on hours because we're just so interested in learning more about the art of negotiation if you guys are like me and my dad and you like you enjoy this type of stuff go follow the black swan group on instagram check them out on YouTube. They also have a ton of free resources on their website, www.blackswanltd.com. And like I said earlier, go get their book, Never Split the Difference, if you're curious on hearing more about some of the high stakes negotiations that Chris Voss was a part of. And as always, if you guys enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a rating and review. That stuff helps my show grow tremendously, and I can't thank you all for doing that. Thank you guys for the continued support. I know you're going to love this episode with Brandon Voss, so without further ado, let's get to it. Let's go. Brandon Voss, welcome to the My Fit podcast, man. It's an absolute honor to have you on the show today. DJ,
0: it's great to be here. Craig, good to be with you too, man. I'm happy about this.
2: Awesome. A couple weeks ago, we got a chance to interview uh, your father, Chris, also have dinner with him in Vegas, had a uh, just a blast getting to know him, hearing stories about you and him as well. And I'm curious, uh, Brandon, tell us a little bit about, you guys are both uh, hostage negotiators. You've worked in big time deals. And I'm assuming that because there's so many different tactics out there, you guys are similar and also different when it comes to getting into a negotiation. How are you guys similar? How are you guys different? And then also, have you ever teamed up? like a Kobe Shaq type dynamic and uh, kind of went head-to-head into a negotiation to work together? And do you have a story that maybe goes with that?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, clarification point, I was technically never a hostage negotiator myself, but uh, I have had a chance to learn from the great ones, including Chris. But yeah, we we, um, uh, we love negotiating together. We've actually found out over the years that it's best if I'm in the primary role and he's essentially the coach. And that's just kind of how in our team dynamics breakdown, which actually makes a lot of sense because we would contend that the most skilled and uh, experienced negotiator should probably be in the coach's seat. And so me in the primary, the main lead talker, and him as kind of the backup has been a great system for us. But yeah, we've cut we've cut a lot of great deals together. I would say the biggest difference in our approach is you know, we're both naturally assertives, but since we've negotiated so many times together you know, he kind of takes the assertive role. He's a little bit more direct. He can be a little bit more uh, uh, brash at times. And it actually works well because it almost creates this like good cop, bad cop dynamic. I can come in and, and hit him with an accusations audit and then everything's okay. So the dynamic works really well.
1: It's interesting when you talk about negotiation, some people just the word kind of freaks them out. There are people who just don't want to negotiate at all. And I'm curious, Brandon, wh- why do you think that is? They are afraid of it or they don't want to look cheap. What, what is the, the background where some folks are like, hey, I'm just, I'm just going to pay full retail?
0: You know, to your point, I think it's a combination of things. But I think that the main issue is around the fear of the process. Because if you're walking into a negotiation, there's a conflicting situation that's either already taking place or may take place as a result of that interaction. And that's something worth being worried about. And so that's kind of the first thing, you know, to your point about being exposed, right? Like, I can't get exposed if we don't speak. But if I talk to you, I might say something that gives you leverage or exposes me in some way. And I'm worried I might say something like that. And so all these things get built up in our minds. We tend to compromise our position before we even get there. And I, I think it really starts with fear. We're just worried that things might go sideways. And like, what do we do then?
2: Mm-hmm. And do you, Brandon, is the best way to overcome that just with more repetition, more practice, more time, just getting in some reps?
0: You know, it definitely reps is a big part of that. The, the actual first step is just mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we have this acronym that we refer to as caviar. And the, uh, the first A in caviar is accept. And you want to accept that things may go bad. And a lot of us, we go in hoping, right? We hope that things don't go bad. And then if they do, we're like, oh my God, you know, you're completely caught off guard. But if you approach it with like, I'm going to get punched in the teeth at some point. When you get hit, you're much more likely to move out of the way than stand there and let it hit you with surprise. And so it's really much, it really starts with how are you mentally wrapping your mind around the process?
1: So being a former football player, and I can see the smile on your face. Listeners won't be able to. Is there a, what's your mindset? I mean, is there a pregame ritual that you go through much like you would as a as a football player when you're going to go in? You and Chris are going to go in for a, a serious negotiation. What goes through your mind? What's your pregame?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And, and, you know, similarly to this whole punched in the mouth thing, I noticed in myself the fear around stepping on a football field and, and really like, you know, the butterflies, the jitters that you get before you get out on the field. All of that went away the first time I made contact with someone. I was completely in my element the first time I got to hit somebody else. And I, I see that coming up in negotiation, right? Like the jitters, right? I might get punched in the mouth, but when the punch comes, now I feel like I'm in my element. And so it's a, it's a very similar thing. You know, it's, it's, it's um, uh, the one biggest difference is I try not to get too hyped up before a negotiation, like I would before a football game, because uh, I don't want to end up yelling at someone like I would on a football field. Right? <laughs> you gotta make sure you avoid that. But yeah, pre-game ritual, man. Just get accepted. that things are coming, things are going to go sideways, and I'm confident that I'm going to be able to react well in the moment. Stay cognitively functional.
2: Very cool. So us uh, on this side of the camera, we're very much involved with Black Swan. We know a lot of the tactics, but I want to take some time to teach the listeners a little bit and catch them up. And one of the things that you talk a lot about are the three different types of negotiators and how we can recognize that and use our tactics to help be more successful. Could you give us an example of what those three are? Walk us through. And um, Brand, a lot of our listeners are fitness enthusiasts. So maybe we can paint an example of somebody that's in a gym, maybe somebody that's going to come and they're thinking about signing up for a membership. What, what? Might one of those people say in that scenario?
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And and I I I I can talk all day about the negotiator types. I love this content. So if I if I babble too much, please feel free to cut me off. (laughs) Let's go. Um, But yeah, so three types: assertive, analyst, and accommodator. I made reference to the assertive earlier. It's the direct, straightforward. The person that feels like they're coming down the tracks like a train. Right, you can feel the intensity at the table. That's the assertive. The analyst, much more standoffish. They're harder to read. They're much more reserved. And they're naturally very skeptical of other human beings, especially at the negotiation table. And then the accommodator, very relationship focused person, generally uh, much more upbeat, high energy, very approachable, very easy to collaborate with. And so, you know, it's interesting. you, you, You talk about a gym setting, you know, for those of us that have spent time in the gym, Right. When you're when you're both headed for a bench at the same time, you and another individual, and you get there and somebody, oh no, please, please, go ahead. Right. Chances are that's an accommodator. Got it. And I've actually had this happen to me before. Me and another guy were angling for a bench over by the dumbbells, and I was slightly closer than he was, and he took off his weight belt and threw it on the bench to hold the spot for himself. That's an assertive. Right. And then the the analyst, that's the person in the gym that prefers to work on their own. Right. They don't they don't necessarily want to. They're not looking for a spot from anybody else. And I'm looking to work in with you and get their set. Chances are that's going to be the analyst. And so, um, you know, going into a gym setting, no matter who you're approaching, right, let's, uh, let's say right, you brought up the whole getting a gym membership thing. And so if you're dealing with an assertive, the assertive is going to want to talk. They're going to want to tell you about the value of the gym. They're going to want to. Uh, sell you they're going to want to persuade you it's going to be the sort of let them get their dissertation out and then they're happy to answer any questions you have but until they get out their dissertation they're going to have trouble answering the questions if you're dealing with an analyst um they're, they're going to be ready to answer questions right out the gate right they, they are they are full of information they have all the answers for you you just got to ask them the right questions in that setting and the accommodator is going to be like, ah, you know, what? let's let's go ahead and immediately take a walk around and introduce you to people. This is this guy. This guy's here working out every day. Right. We love to have you as part of our gym family. Right. The approach to it is much more like be part of us because we're a community that likes to be healthy and strive for better tomorrows, Right. And so that's that's kind of how you can decipher between the three, you know, with the analysts starting with, um, you know, like I said, good questions in this particular uh, situation but also something like a label. Like it sounds like you've worked out here for a long time. Sounds like there's other gyms you've left because you didn't like them as much. Right. They're going to love to engage in something like that. And then the accommodator just don't want to be a friend. You ask that accommodator, like, I'd love for you to work out with me my first day in the gym. They'll be there at whatever time you need them to be right. there. Right. And help right. you re-rack the weights and all that good stuff.
2: Right. So as the counterpart, Brandon, our goal is to try to, I'm going to, I'm going to assume, try to mimic and try to copy what they're bringing to the table. So I think uh, another thing, if I'm, if I'm trying to sell a gym membership, if somebody comes in and, and their speed, they're fast, they're ready to go, they're moving. I'm trying to mirror that. Is that similar with these three types of styles too? When somebody comes to me, they want to sign up. I recognize it and I try to mirror what they're bringing to the table.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting. You bring that up. I think that's very circumstantial. Okay. Um, You know, I personally am not a huge fan of mirroring other people's energy because I ain't got the energy to match your energy, right? If anything, I want to bring you down some to where I'm at so that, you know, I feel more comfortable. And so it's interesting. I I tend to do the opposite, right? If someone's super high energy, I tend to calm down and slow myself down that much more as a result. And so I I think some of it is kind of like, what's your flavor? You know, to each their own. But to your point about matching energy, when it comes to like building common ground, someone that sees a mirror image of their energy in someone else, you know, there's, I'm not sure what, what chemicals are being dumped into the, the neocortex at that moment, but I think it can be very powerful as far as starting the initial connection with another human being, for sure.
2: Wanted to ask about the assertive one. And it seems that that could come off as aggressive and it could be could take people back, make them uncomfortable. If we were to pick that one apart, because I think it's the most complicated, maybe the most delicate brand, if you would agree. How how do you work with somebody that is more on the assertive side? What are some things you should do? Maybe some things you should avoid.
0: That's that's a great question because I think that's what people struggle with the most to your point. And also, even though there's three different types, we always imagine ourselves negotiating against the shark the aggressive person, that person that's going to come at us like a train. And we're probably going to hit see that person maybe 30% of the time. But going back to dealing with them specifically, the assertive always, always, always has an agenda when they come to the table. And the assertive also operates based on respect. I don't got to like you. I don't, I don't got to agree with you. But there has to be a mutual respect here. And so one of the best ways to show respect to an assertive is to allow them to lead, especially out the gate. And if you've identified assertive and assertive and you're in a situation where the assertive doesn't talk right away, a great way to get them started is simply, sounds like you got a place you want to start. Well, as a matter of fact, I do, right? And then they'll talk for 20 minutes. And they feel respected when we can sit in our chair allow them to engage in that and then simply use mirrors and things like encouragers to allow them to keep going and let them know that we are in fact in the ring with them. Now, if we get that out of sequence, the assertive is going to become combative right away because they're going to feel disrespected. And then their reaction is, well, then I don't need to respect you either. And so now I'm going to turn it up a little bit. I'm going to turn it up a couple more notches, but if you can get them through that initial phase, The assertive, I think, then becomes the easiest of the three types to work with because they're also the only one of the three types that can be convinced with logic in the moment. But they got to be in the right mental space. And so once you get them there, then, you know, it actually becomes a very collaborative interaction. That's one of the things I really like about the assertive It's just they can be so abrasive up front that it seems impossible to ever get to a place where we're fully collaborative.
1: That's kind of that traditional me against you Mm. approach. And one of the things I love about Black Swan that is so different is deference. And when Chris first brought it up, I'm like, I wish I knew what deference really meant. So because I didn't know, our listeners probably don't know, but I know that that's, that's the magic in the mix for a lot of interactions. Talk a little bit about what deference is.
0: Yeah. And really, really, it's one thing to define it. It's another thing to display it and engage with it at the table. And so I'll focus much more on displaying and engaging. And so the first thing about um, showing deference actually goes back to this whole thing. He or she who cares least wins. And so it's not that you want to show that you don't care, but you want to show that you're unaffected. No matter what kind of crazy things you do, it's not going to rattle me. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be too high. I'm not going to be too low. I'm just going to allow you to engage in whatever it is you feel like you need to do right now. And then I'll find a way to respond amicably to that, right? Without inflaming the situation. And a lot of that response is a tactical empathy approach, right? What, what motivations, what emotions, what passions, what life narratives are they indicating by the very last thing that they said to you? And if you can verbalize that, that's one of the great ways to do it. Another another great way to show deference, Chris talks about tonal voice all the time. You know, I actually, you know, we talk about the late night FM DJ voice. The tonal voice that I I personally really like, we don't really have a name for it, is one that like your cadence is very broken up. You can hear a lot of exhaling and it very much comes off like, "I I need your help. I I want us to be able to figure this out together. And so, something along the lines of um, let me see, I'm trying to think of a quick example. Someone comes at you harshly, and, you know, for example, I don't, yeah, we don't have the money for that. That's way too much. You guys are way out of control. Your pricing is ridiculous. You got to be out of your mind charging us that. And the response to that might be, I'm sorry man it, it it just it sounds like we are just both really off base right and you can hear it like just help me out here i am not a threat to you if anything i'm trying to figure out how to make us both better i mean you can almost hear that in the tone and that's one of the great ways that i like to sh- make sure i show at the table.
1: one of the best pieces of advice <clears throat> i ever got is When you go into any kind of a sales presentation, the mentality is, I want your business, I'd like your business, but I don't need your business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, because when you're desperate in sales, it never works for you. When you're desperate in a relationship, it never works for you. So true. So true.
0: Yeah. So I I would say like my, I I think you guys know I'm a a former sales guy myself Been through all types of different sales training. And I love that model. And the only issue that I have with it is especially when I think when it comes to assertives and analysts alike. If you don't have your mind fully wrapped around that, the whole, but I don't need your business piece can really lead to arrogance. Mm -hmm. And so internally, if you're like, you know, I don't need your business anyway. If that's what you're saying to yourself inside, then in some way, shape or form, it's coming out in your outer voice. And we actually refer to that as your inner voice betraying your outer voice. And so if internally that's the way you think, then in some way you're going to come off like that to your counterparts and the whole, but I don't need your business. I think the translation really goes to because I'm going to make a great deal with someone. If it's not cheap mm-hmm. as opposed to, I'm just too good. I don't need you right now. Right. It's a slightly different mental approach to the same thing. And the latter leads to, uh, much more deference at the table rather than misinterpreted arrogance. Mm -hmm.
2: It's a good distinction. Brandon, something that I promised that I'd get myself to do here is I wanted to ask if we could do a role play scenario. And I've heard Chris do this multiple times. Uh, I've seen on YouTube you guys do it, and I'm not a uh, professional by any means, but I'd like to just see what I could do in some sort of a role role play scenario. Uh, I know you guys have done the 60 seconds or she dies or something like that. Would you be open to doing a role play with me? And maybe the that would kind of that story would help the listeners understand a little bit what it's like to be a negotiator and how hard it really is.
0: No, that I think that would be fun. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. All right, let's play. All right, very good. So you you are the negotiator, and I, I am essentially the role player here. Or are we doing it the other way around?
2: I want you to put me on the spot, man. I, I yeah, make it make make me work.
0: All right, I'll put you on the spot. Okay, all right, very good. Um, uh, we'll keep it gym related. If Thank you. Best I can here. So, <laughs> um, man, I was at you guys' gym last week. And I was amazed at how messy the free weights area was. There were weights everywhere. Nothing was re-racked. There were sweat marks all over. I mean, we got a pandemic going on here. And I walk into the free weight section, there's sweat marks all over every bench. I can't lay down to get my workout. And I actually just went home because I couldn't imagine exposing myself to that environment
2: man um brandon i'm so sorry that that you that you felt that way um what can we do what can we do better next time
0: well get get your get yourself together get your ass in gear get some more people on staff and make sure they're over by the free weights to make sure the free weights are re-racked and that the benches are wiped off because it is unsanitary you can't have this happen at a time like this
2: Right. I agree. I hear you. I agree. Um, I'm going to take this to my staff right away. It's important to us, especially during a pandemic, that our gym is clean. I'll make sure that we take care of this right away.
0: Well, I'm obviously going to need some sort of a discount. I'm going to need like a couple of months free because for me to walk in and see this happen, right, I'm paying good money to be a part of this gym. And I walk in and I can't even work out in the space. So I'm clearly going to need at least two months free as
2: part of my membership. Again, I hear what you're saying with the pandemic and things going on. I think you could imagine right now that the, the gym spaces and the gyms are struggling. We really are just not, are not in a place to discount, but I want to make sure that next time you come in, we're going to have the place cleaned uh, and we'll do anything that we can to make your experience better the next time you come into the gym.
0: How can you expect me to continue to pay for a membership that I don't even know if I can use on any given day? It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I'll I, I, so I jump in here real quick. I'm sweating, man. Real I'm real sweating. Good, good. Help me out. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that was that was good, man. There's a lot, lot of good elements of, of what you did there. And so um, I, I will admit, I, I had trouble, like like trying to keep you under my thumb. I, I struggle with that. It was those. I was being very conscious of staying <laughs> angry while we were talking. So you know, kudos to you because I almost broke character there a couple <laughs> of times. Uh, But I will say like one and this is this is something that we all do as human beings in negotiation. Someone comes to us and they express a grievance. We apologize. We tell them we understand. And then we immediately go into explaining to them that they either shouldn't feel that way or will make it so they never feel that way again in the future. Mm -hmm. Now that makes sense because that's problem solving mode we naturally go into problem-solving mode because we've all grown up in an education system that is designed to put us in that placement. And it's actually a bit of a detriment because it doesn't teach us to think critically. It just thinks us like, just, just gears us to how do we solve this problem? How do I give you the golden piece that's going to fix everything right now? Right. And, emotion, and emotions and negotiation are much more complicated than the quick, short-term fix. And so the alternative is, Being able to completely let go of the explanation and be wholly focused on verbalizing for them what their grievance is. So in a situation like that, emotionally, the main reason why I feel the way I do is because you don't understand how disgusted I was the day I walked into the gym and saw this mess over by the freeways. And so you promising to fix it in the future doesn't fix how disgusted I was last week or yesterday when I came to the gym. And it's hard to stay in that mode because you can't fix that, right? There is no way for you to go back in time. You can't, you can't jump into DeLorean with Doc Brown and go back and fix the free weight area. And so it's easy to, to let that go. What we actually need to do is just verbalize so far what you've told me is you walked into the gym and you were wholly disgusted by what you saw. So much so that you couldn't even fathom staying in the gym any longer to continue to work out. You needed to go home. And as a result, you feel like you're deserving of a discount and you're wondering whether or not you should ever come back at all. And then that leads to that's "That's right. right." (laughs) And that's how you get to the that's right moment. It is much easier said then done, because at the time, you almost have to admit, we failed you. you're a customer of ours, and you feel like we failed you. And that is a very difficult thing to bring ourselves to verbalize at the table. However, it's the only way to attack the negative
2: emotion directly. Mm-hmm. And it seems like once you get to that that's right moment, the momentum kind of shifts. You're almost back in the driver's seat a little bit, so then Brandon, take it a step further. After you get that that's right moment, what follows?
0: Yeah. Okay. So a couple of different options. A couple different options. First option is asking permission to explain with a no oriented question. And so would I be completely out of line if I tried to explain what our plan is moving forward? Mm. No, not at all. All right. We will make sure you never experience this again. We will we'll give you a free, we'll give you free swag, right? We'll give you a gym t-shirt and all that stuff. So there's one, one, one way to go. Permission to get into your explanation. The other one, uh, I really love thought shaping questions, which is not something we talk much about in the book, but it's part of our kind of three stage uh, upgrade for a hotel. And it's it's basically you know how bad of a position do I put you in? How much of an issue do I cause? I think I actually threw you one this morning when I said I was going to be late for the interview, and I said how much of a problem am I creating? How much of a burden am I creating? That's a thought shaping question, and so if you follow it up with how bad of a position or how much of a burden for you would I be creating if I guaranteed that you would never have to go through that experience again? And now it's back in their court. Right. They feel like they own the process at that point, they own the next steps and the implementation, and you can continue from there, right? And oh, uh, you know, it sounds like we failed you at the moment, and there's still a way that we can make this better. Yeah, you know what? There is. Right. And then, and then you, can, you can kind of work your way to that direction. And so those, those are the two big ones. Another, another one, another potential kind of tertiary option there is, depending on how confrontational you want to be, you could use an iMessage. And you could say, you know, when you um, insult our gym this way, I feel like it might not be great for our other customers. Because we're a community that continues to be focused on working together, right? And you can say that too. It all depends on which direction you want to take it, but you can, right, go to explanation with permission, you can use a thought-shaping question to get them to expand more and continue kind of collaborative, or if you feel like you got to check them at that moment, you got to condition them that this behavior will not be accepted ever, then you can go with an I message after that.
1: Very cool. So, that's kind of a one-time, <clears throat> excuse me, it's kind of a one-time, hey, somebody called in, they're ticked off because the, the gym was sweaty. What about, yeah. what about, Brandon, when you've got either a coworker or you have someone who you're interacting with on a consistent basis who just, they seem snarky. They seem to, their first uh, communication is to kind of bite your head off. And after, everybody's going to have a bad day, but this is like a consistent pattern. And it's getting underneath your skin. What how do you how do you work through that? How do you communicate that their tone, their approach is not helping the situation or it's not working for you?
0: That's that is such a great question. I'll actually start with the piece about getting under your skin. Because this goes back to mental mindset. This goes back to inner voice versus outer voice. One way to get over this internal trigger is to accept that you have you are caused to the problem in some way and once we can accept that we've contributed to that problem that they have makes it a little bit easier for us to mentally get wrapped around how do i verbalize an understanding to them it's much harder to verbalize an understanding when internally you're like this is all your fault i am not at fault here you've caused all these problems makes it very hard to verbalize an understanding when you feel like there's no need to. You don't, you don't deserve that from me. You haven't earned it. And it makes it very difficult. We actually create mental barriers for ourselves. So that's the first thing, accepting that you've contributed to the problem in some way, even if it's in their crazy convoluted mind in some way based on their perspective. And then the follow-up to that is a couple, couple different moves in, in the moment. You can simply label the emotion. You know, it seems like You feel like you're under a tremendous amount of pressure. It seems like you feel as though you've been put out on an island with no support whatsoever. Right? You could go that way, go right at the heart of how they got there emotionally. Or I mentioned earlier the I message. Right? Let's say that this has been recurring. You've done your best to verbalize, you've done your best to label those emotions, and you still feel like you aren't getting anywhere because each new conversation will start at the same spot then I would say, and iMessage is is very fitting for the moment because it's it's designed to condition unwanted behavior out of our collaboration. And so I would go with that and I would lead in with, this is going to make me sound extremely combative. This is going to make it sound like I am not on your side at all. When you barge in my office with that type of attitude, I feel like there's no way we're ever going to be able to move our conversation forward because it's actually our job to figure out how to collaborate, right? That's, that's an option, right? You could change the wording up a little bit, but the structure is simply when you, and you state the behavior that's unwanted, I feel, and you simply state how you're either affected by it or you could use, I feel like I've let you down. You could almost use it as a self-deprecation moment. You, you have the option. And then the last part, because... And you simply state what the solution should be because we got to figure out how to solve this problem by Friday, because I can't think when you come and be like that first thing in the morning, because if we can't figure this out, how can I keep you on staff? Whatever that is, you just drop that into the because when you I feel because.
1: So let's say it's a vendor of yours. It's the Black Swan technical team, and they're really good. At fixing your computer issues in a scenario, but they're just, they're snarky. And you come in and they're they're condescending toward you. Why you have it set up this way? You guys don't seem to know. The last time I was here, I told you to do this, you didn't do it. And you're kind of getting this pushback from them and they're working for you, but yet their demeanor is just pushing you uh, sideways a little bit? Do you just let it go? Hey, that's the way they are? Or do you, is there another way to kind of communicate that? I'm not really appreciative of the way that you're chatting with me right now.
0: No, that's, that's a great question. And I will say my initial reaction to this, and this is probably my assertive showing a little bit. <laughs> is No, you don't want to let that go. You want to go right at it. You want to fix it, right? You can never let something like that go. And so, as far as the approach is, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I am deducing from the example you laid out is the tech guys feel like we don't understand how much value they bring to the table and how much they know about this industry and how many problems that they have the ability to solve. And so I would lead in with an accusations audit that is wholly focused on that. And so, look, you guys are the best. We wouldn't be working with you if you didn't have the knowledge that you have. The reality is you will probably forget more about this industry than i will ever have the capacity to learn and then go silent and now they feel understood you've taken time out of the conversation to express this is how you feel you feel like we don't understand the value you bring and you can even use those words you probably feel like We don't understand the value that you guys bring to the table and how much you actually help us navigate and avoid problems altogether and now they love talking to you right once you verbalize an understanding that is that strong people love to interact with you and in fact will bend over backwards to continue to make you happy
2: Yeah, I've heard multiple times on on multiple podcasts that your favorite tactic is labeling. And Chris talked to us a little bit about what it is, what it looks like. Something that I learned recently from researching more from you is the idea of mislabeling on purpose. Can you Uh talk a little bit about just a quick refresher for the people that are newer? What is labeling? And then also, why would you mislabel on purpose? And maybe an example, if it's a gym one, we'll keep that theme going.
0: All right, very good. Very good. So simply put, a label is a verbal observation. And it's a verbal observation that starts with, it seems like, it sounds like, it looks like, or it feels like, right? That's kind of our, our placeholders, as it were. And then the verbal observation is specifically aimed at a latent dynamic. Or another way, simpler way to put that is a dynamic that is not readily present in the words that they've used. And so we talked about the 60 seconds or she dies earlier, right? Guy says, I need a car in 60 seconds or she dies. The proper label in that moment is actually it sounds like you want to live. Because this guy's fearful he's going to get killed by the cops because he's breaking the law and he's making a crazy demand to save his own skin. And so you actually have to label what the life narrative is and the life narrative is fear of death. And so going into the the mislabel approach. Real easy way to switch your it seems like to a mislabel is simply it doesn't seem like. And so at times when I when I will choose to use something like this, uh, right, we're we're negotiating a gym membership. It looks like I've got you almost all the way to the finish line. You're going to sign up. You're going to hand me your credit card. I'm pretty sure of it. And then I might say. It doesn't seem like you're sure whether or not you want to join the gym. And they go, no, 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 I love this place. You guys got a great facility. You got all your stuff. Take my money. And that would be an example of a mislabel, right? You're fully sure that this is the case. And then you're actually labeling the opposite so that you trigger correction. And we actually say one of our laws of negotiation gravity is that when it comes to human beings, correction is irresistible. Hmm. All you got to do is give it a little nudge, and people are happy to engage, especially when it's a correction that positively benefits you. Take advantage of it as often as you can.
1: Do you think there are some tactics that are more advantageous to a buyer versus a seller and, and vice versa?
0: Ooh, great question. Great question. Um, I would say, yeah, no, great question. I, I don't think I've been presented with this before. I'd say as a seller your greatest tool is going to be your accusations audit, right? Your ability to come to the table and verbalize things that are true for the other side without them even opening their mouth yet. For example, I'm sure you're tired of talking to salespeople. I'd imagine the last salesperson you talked to left a bad taste in your mouth. I'm a great salesperson, but I can't ignore the fact that you've probably dealt with salespeople you don't like. And that is going to paint a picture of how you want to deal with me because of your prior experience. I got to eliminate that negative right out the gate, and that's going to come with an accusations audit. As a buyer, I'd say that you're probably your best tools either going to be um, no-oriented questions or labels. And again, I'm, I'm very biased when it comes to labels, as you pointed out, DJ. But I think those are going to be your best ones, especially when it comes to you're going to have to get the price the price down or get a price to a place that's more amicable. You're going to want to use use, uh, no-oriented questions and labels to exude fear of loss. And as a buyer, making the salesperson feel like they might lose the deal without making them feel pushed, right? There's a fine line there, but that plays very well to your advantage because the salesperson wants to sell. And if you're the buyer in front of them with the money, right now they want to sell to me. And so I'm going to want to use fear. Yeah, you know, it sounds like you're not ready to make a deal with me yet. Well, of course we are. We, we, you know, we, yeah, no, you're great. We'd love to have you as part of our community, right? And then you're triggering that correction again that comes from a label. And so, yeah, definitely accusations on as a salesperson, uh, no oriented questions, and, and labels is fire for sure.
2: Very cool. Uh, I, I promised I'd tell you this story, and um, it, it might be a little bit uh, off the chart here, Brandon, but dur- during the... Uh, last week of training, I had a member come up to me and ask me. I don't know why he asked me because I'm engaged and, and I'm not single, but a, a member asked me, DJ, if you were going out to Punch Bowl Social this weekend and you wanted to get a date to a wedding the following weekend. How do I talk to girls? What should I say? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know why you're asking me. Uh, but I, I I'm gonna I have Chris Voss in my head. So one thing I would say to this member, I said, why don't you go up to her and spin it? You know, every time, what do females hear? Hey, can I buy you a drink? Can I buy you a drink? Can I can I get you on a dance? It's always the same question. They're probably sick of this. What if you spun it and said, excuse me, would it be crazy? Would it be absurd for me to ask if I could buy you a drink? Cut, try to flip the script and get them to say no. And I thought it was pretty good. I thought uh, the advice, uh, and I'm, I'm waiting to hear back on how, uh, how it turns out, but I'm curious, Brandon, I know you're a married man. Looking back, knowing what you know now, you're at the Punchbowl Social at the social event. How would you approach yeah. somebody using some of the tactics that you guys have come out with recently?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And I will say, first of all, I love that. I love that. Would it be absurd for me to ask you? I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. Because even if she says yes, just the fact that you've approached her differently doesn't completely shut the door on you, right? If she says yes, it is absurd. It's a different enough approach, right, that you, there's a follow up to that rather than just, all right, well, now I got to turn and walk away because I just got turned down. Right. right. So I do love that. Um, definitely want to go with something along those lines. You know, going back to we just talking about a seller and a buyer. Right. You're the guy, you're the seller. She's buying what you want to sell. And so I would I would have to lean on an accusations on it. And so, like, you know, and you can put it in question format to a certain degree, but like, how tired are you of dopes walking up to you constantly trying to offer you a drink? That's right. Right? And now now you got a dialogue going. Like, oh, my God, these guys, they drive me crazy. They seem so thirsty, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, know. look at these schmucks over here, right? And you're just separating yourself from the other dopes in the room, right? Oh, yeah, look at these guys, right? Now you got a conversation going. So I love that. I love that start with an oriented question, right? If you want to go straight and just asking them a question. And then, honestly, it, it sounds stupid. You know, the, the classic, hey, I'm Brandon. You know, it's amazing how stuff like that will get you kicked off. And so you can start with, hey, I'm Brandon. Would it be absurd of me to, to offer to buy you a drink? Right? If you, could, you could start in that way. But in any negotiation, immediately eliminating ourselves as a threat is the biggest piece of leverage that we can gain emotionally. And in common human interactions on the street where we don't know each other, the best way to start eliminating ourselves as the threat is to offer our name up. Allow them to refer to us by our name. Because you're still, right? Would, you, would it be absurd if I offered you a drink? You could still be a serial killer, right? I don't even know what to call you yet, right? I call you a drink guy, right? I call you, you know good dude with the curly hair, which has happened to me before. Yeah, the curly-headed, light-skinned dude, right? I'm going to end up being that guy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so no, that's, that's a great question. And I, I love that The question. Throw, throw some accusations, artists, and introductions in there. Mix them all together. You got a pretty good steward.
2: One of my favorite parts about the Black Swan group, you and your dad is the, is the role playing. And at, we got a chance to do it, obviously, a little bit ago. And then talking about this, another one that uh, Chris brought us through at dinner that night was your idea and kind of your skit going through getting a hotel room upgrade. And yeah. you guys do, I think one of the most fantastic job that you guys do is just your tone, your patience, and cadence. Can you walk us through for the listeners, because I think it's brilliant, how to get a room upgrade, some of the things that you would say, maybe just a back and forth dialogue?
0: Sure, sure. Now that's great. So the components of this is basically what we call a cold read is your opening line. And then you follow it with a much more robust audit. And then you end with a thought shaping question. And so, um, quick simulation of this, right? I was—I was actually, what was I checking? I think I was an addiction to a hotel in Atlanta. This particular time, I walk up. My cold read is, man, I'm—I'm I'm getting ready to ask you something that is going to completely ruin your day, and then go completely silent, right? Create an intentional void in the conversation. This dynamic silence, and I always get kind of like they always look up. I always want to catch them. Like, all right, so sequence. Let me tell you this. I give them my ID and as soon as they look down at the computer and they're not making eye contact with me that's when i hit them with the line because i know their brain is somewhere else and i want to bring them back on purpose and so they look up at you from the computer and they get kind of this funny look on their face and they don't really know where to go next and they seem to be waiting for me to continue and then i'll wait an extra second or two to let that you know simmer a little bit and then i go into am getting ready to ask you for something that I in fact do not deserve. And it is going to make me sound like another spoiled hotel guest that is making demands of you. And then I go silent again. And in this this particular instance in Atlanta, this guy actually looks at me and he goes, just rip the bandaid off, man. Just just rip the bandaid off, (laughs) which is actually a great response, right? If somebody gets to the point where you've done an audit and they're like, just tell me what you need. You've got their full and undivided attention, and not only that, they really want to know. Like they, like every everything inside them says, "I just want to know what you have to say," which is a great place to leave somebody emotional, and then I follow up with, "How much trouble would I get you in if I asked for a complimentary upgrade to a suite?" And I tell you, I'm about in a thousand at this point. I haven't actually had anybody turn me down yet. The closest thing that I got to being turned down was, I was told all the suites were full. And in this particular instance, I believed what the lady said, and ended up getting 25% off the the hotel uh, restaurant, right? I got a ticket for 25% off dinner. I got uh, breakfast brought up to the room in the morning. I got a free bottle of champagne and they sent up a cheese plate. And so since they couldn't give me a suite, they gave me all this other stuff.
2: (laughs) So, there's a lot of tactics in there, Brandon, but I think the most, one of the most important things to take out is the silence and being able to let it sit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe not, maybe in that scenario or just in negotiating in general. I think I feel like people, maybe more nowadays than ever, struggle with silence, some more than others, probably. Why is it so important to let things sit after you say things?
0: That is, that is a great, great question. And so people struggle with it because it's uncomfortable. Simply put, that's all it is. It's that simple. Why is it so important for us to use it? Well, a couple of things. First of all, if you've triggered deep thinking, right, the system two thought process that is talked about in Thinking Fast and Slow, the Kahneman book, you got to give them time to process, right? The deep thinking doesn't happen instantly. Like you got to go into the recess of your brain and kind of sit in this quiet room by yourself and contemplate, and you got to let people go through that mental process. So that's one reason. Another reason is, leaving them hanging and what i mean by leaving them hanging like it makes us uncomfortable to feel like we've left someone else hanging like they don't really know what how to respond or what direction we're taking the conversation in and we can feel that in our intuition and it makes us uncomfortable to leave them in that state it's actually the exact opposite as far as what our reaction should be if we put them in that place again it's great for us on an emotional standpoint to let them hang a little bit because eventually they're not going to be able to figure it out. And they're going to come back to like, what do you have to say? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, we want their focus on us. And then the only way to really do it is allow silence to sit in. And then uh, uh, another reason, you know, this, this, this idea of he or she who cares least wins well related, he or she who breaks the silence first loses. Yeah. And so just from my competitive nature, right, as I'm counting Mississippi's in my head, so I stay in my chair and don't speak competitively, I'm like, I'm not going to break this silence, right? I am not going to be the one to lose this silence battle. And so I'll, I'll sit, we, 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 will, we will grow old together, looking at each other in the silence.
1: <laughs> That's commitment. He's committed. <laughs> and as a speaker, Brandon, the power of silence after you nail a point is so huge. And there are times when you, You've said this story so many times you forget that silence. But I know that when I'm presenting more of an emotional story, if I'll mm. give it five seconds where it gets a little painful and but then they're looking at you like, OK, well, well what what happened? And I think another piece to the coming to the storytelling is when Chris talked about shifting your stories from I to you. Mm. There's another connection. So when you combine silence and from I to you, now they're really tuned in. But if you're not familiar with the I to you as a listener, what, what's that about?
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I love your example of, of telling the story, especially from the stage. The only thing that puts people on the edge of their seat is anticipation of what's coming next one of the best ways to facilitate anticipation is silence, to your point. And so this I versus you thing, right? How do we properly use pronouns in the moment? Well, I like from a negotiation standpoint, I actually prefer I, but I prefer I in the case of like, seems like I didn't give you what you needed. It looks like I could have did a better job because they're going to tell you what it is, right? If you're wondering what they want, they're going to be like, yeah, and here's what you can do to make it better. And it's like, okay, well, and now I got all the notes and you're going to be a very happy person from now moving forward. So I do like I. You can actually be a very, a very engaging. The problem with you is you can also be interpreted as accusatory. And so it sounds like you're hesitant for some reason is a good, engaging way. I am feeling your hesitation. I'd love for us to discuss it so we can figure out how to solve it. But then there's, it seems like you don't understand. That is, I think you're stupid in disguise. And that's when we can really get in trouble with you. So without really understanding the differences between engagement or accusation and being able to utilize that well, we can get ourselves into trouble. Like another thing, you know, it sounds like uh, you don't have all the information you need. You know, for us at face value, it sounds good because this is set up for me to explain to you the information that you need, but it's interpreted as you and your team and your research isn't good enough to keep you well enough informed to be able to, have, be able to have a good conversation with me. And that's how that gets interpreted. And so the interpretation of what we say is much more important than what our intention is. And when we can understand the interpretation, then we can properly phrase ourselves to feed into the proper perception.
1: So how would you rephrase that question? If you get the feeling that they don't understand or they don't have enough information, how would you reframe that?
0: Yeah, so the first thing is again, verbalization of where they are currently, right? We always want to skip to like, all right, let me explain to you how this is, how we can straighten this out. And the first step is actually, I need to move you mentally a little bit because you're focused on this bad information over here off to the side. And the only way for me to get you away from that is to tell you why you've got your arms hugged around this bad piece of information. And then you feel comfortable letting go once you know that I understand how you got there. Then I can lead into, here's what you need to know. This is why I'm your trusted advisor, because this is the information you actually need to have. But we got to make that first shift up front before we get into that, that type of engagement.
2: Very cool. Brandon, this was fun. I want to be respectful of your time for a closing question here. Uh, obviously, if somebody wants to become a better negotiator, the first thing would be to get the book. But let's say somebody's listening and they're in their car, they're on their way to a social event or somewhere, and they want to just pick out one thing to be a better negotiator. Brandon, what's one thing they could do today to help level up their game?
0: One thing they could do today. All right, so I, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to go with two here. I'm breaking okay. rules a little bit. So. As an individual, as a person, get your reps in, get your cycles in, go out there, engage in uncomfortable interactions to try to just get over the hump. That's one actionable item. And then from a personal side, you can go to our website and get tied in to our weekly newsletter. It comes out every Tuesday morning by 9 a.m. Your local time. It's called The Edge, right? The Negotiation Edge. And it's always less than a thousand words, very easily digestible pieces of free information that always pertain to very specific negotiation subject matter. And so it's never just like, oh, here's this theoretical thing for you to think about. It's no, you are negotiating with the board. Here are the things that you need to say to get them on your side. And so very easily digestible, easy to get through. You know, obviously the book takes time to read. but you can go through about 800 words in 10 or 15 minutes. And so that's that's a great resource that a lot of our big fans uh, tend to utilize and make suggestions about articles, right? We write articles based on what people want
2: to know about. Very cool. Brandon, thank you for taking the time. It was a pleasure to have you on. It's fun to role play. Uh, We really enjoy everything you guys put out there. So just thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast today.
0: DJ, Craig, it was my pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Awesome.
2: Guys, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to share it on your Instagram. We'd love to hear what you got out of it. Some of the tactics you'll be using the next time you're at a negotiation table. We'll see you guys next week for another episode on the MyFit podcast. Take care.